fitness is your ability to cope with and recover from stress. And stress is an inevitable factor in your life and in the lives of the people in your organization. A fit, healthy team is an energized, effective team, but it is not enough to just tell your people what to do, you need to show them. If you want your people to have a better quality of life and a more rewarding career, then it is vital that you lead from the front. Your choices, your behaviors are in the spotlight. My name's Jay Unwin, it's time to get fit to lead. Welcome back to Fit to Lead with me, Jay Unwin. As it was World Menopause Day on Monday, this week my guest is menopause anxiety specialist and mental well-being author Shirley Bilson, and we chat about the personal challenges commonly linked to this period of life and how organisations can better support their people during this time. Don't forget that on the first Wednesday of every month at 11am UK time, I run a free webinar called Level Up Your People. If you're interested in coming along, then you can head to fitbodyfitmind.online forward slash level up and get yourself registered. Hey Shirley, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you Jay. It's nice to be here. Yeah, well thank you for thank you for joining me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation because it's something that is, uh, it's a topic which is well outside my experience. It's something that I don't know a lot about and it's um, it's something which I'm, I'm very keen to learn about because my, my, this whole kind of podcast journey for me is about educating myself and just happening to record it so other people can learn as well. So hopefully I'm going to learn a lot. I hope so too. Yeah. Yeah. And good on you, you know, because that's, it's hard for anyone to understand this. And, you know, please don't be, I want to disabuse anyone who's listened to this thinking that women at a certain time know what what it's about because they don't. That's half the problem. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you're right. Um, so the, I'm going to start off before we kind of get into the detailed stuff about kind of your particular areas of expertise. Um, I'm going to ask you the same question that I ask everyone at the start of these uh, these episodes, and that is, what does fitness mean to you? Fitness, oh, nice word. Um, it means a myriad of things, I guess, but I suppose fundamentally, fitness is is an ability to is it an ability mm. a capacity to have the resources you need to live the life you want to live how's that that's do you know what i'm going to steal that and i'm gonna, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it, I, I use i use the word capacity a lot when i talk about fitness as well and and it is that it's, I, I like that kind of train of thought there where you were thinking is it is it an ability is it a capacity um and it is it really is about kind of um for me at least, living the life that you want to lead. And and I think that the more that people can understand this, the more that people can understand that it's not just an end in itself, but it's a means to an end. Yeah. Fitness, is no, there's no point being fit for the sake of being fit. It doesn't achieve anything. It's like having a load of money that you don't spend. Um, it, it's it's something which can allow you to, to do the things which are important to you. So, well, that's a good start because it sounds like we're on the same page. <laughs> Yay! And in, in, terms of, in terms of how... In terms of the work that you do uh-huh. with uh, with the menopause, for example, how does that fit in with? Because um, obviously that's a big time of adjustment for people, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And how does that um, how does that affect people's, or how do you think that might affect people's, um, you know, or fitness or their 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 view on fitness and and their view on kind of health and well being and things like that? Yeah, I think the thing with menopause is that it's it's like an explosion it's almost like big bang in that you could you could take that anywhere and and you don't know what you're going to deal with until you're dealing with it okay so for some women they can sail through it and it really is it's just a cessation of periods you know and there's this there's this state they've now pathologized so much of it so there's um perimenopause and menopause and postmenopause um and there are a handful of women who genuinely do just kind of sail through it and they get you know their periods change in terms of frequency and they maybe have some not too unmanageable hot flushes and then they're done and they don't get what other women are going through um but other women so 54 percent of women struggle with menopause anxiety okay 
And that can be expressed in a myriad of ways. So you can have anxiety attacks, panic attacks, palpitations, um, loss of concentration. <laughs> I had that for a moment there. Um, <laughs> forgetfulness, uh, mood swings, irritability, tears, all of those. And then they get compounded by physical shifts in your body because obviously hormonally stuff is changing. Um, and again, you know, because I think this is it, people go, oh, menopause, that's, that's a thing and it happens here and it must be some, there must be some typical version of it. But if you think of it, and I think there are lots of parallels here, if you think of it like puberty, I mean, yes, biologically, you could sit down with a scientist and they'd go, oh, here's what happens, you know, and, and this hormone is doing this and that hormone is doing that. But other than that, like your journey is your journey and it's not necessarily the same as anybody else's. And you could be terrified and, and not know what's going on and, and struggling with identity, which is a big part, which is kind of how I got to menopause, I think. Not, not how I got to my menopause, but how I got to working with it because I had previously focused on working with young people. And, and I, a book is coming out this December on mental health leadership in secondary schools. Right. Because when you're in puberty, you are kind of like, who am I? Where am I? And people keep saying, so what do you want to do when you grow up? And you go, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I mean, some people, some people do. So just like menopause. I still don't some, know, Shirley. I'll no, neither do I. Neither do I. So when you get to menopause, a similar thing, like even if you've kind of feel like, oh, I'm, I've handled this thing called life. I'm okay. I'm, yeah, I can do this. Even if that happens, it throws you in a complete curveball and goes, really? Really? And it smacks you around the face. So I've forgotten. We said this would be one of those conversations where we... <laughs> Yeah, we well, this, this always happens. This is just my life where we kind of, we're, we're both going to go off on tangents, forget where we started um, yeah. and rely on each other to bring ourselves back. But oh, the, yes. what, we were, what we were looking at was how, how it affects that that um, perspective on, on well-being and fitness and stuff like that. And I think that you've really kind of, you've given already have given me um, a really interesting insight because uh, it's, it's very hard um, to to understand things that other people are going through if we haven't been through them ourselves and as a biological male i'm i'm not going to go through the menopause at any point and and so it's quite a quite a challenging thing for me to 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 empathize with uh, even with the best intentions but the fact that you've um you know you've used a reference point which i can relate to because I have been through puberty yes. and, yes. and that understanding of that, that kind of shift. And it's like, wow, actually that is a really quite a profound, it's almost like the other bookend, isn't it? It's like the yeah. bookend, you've got the puberty at this point, you've got menopause at, uh, at a later point, And it's like the yeah. two bookends of that, um, of essentially sexual maturity, isn't it? And yeah. so the, uh, the understanding of that kind of turmoil, because I knew people that cruised through puberty yeah. with very little trouble. Yeah. And then I knew other people, um, myself included, who found certain aspects of it really challenging. And mm. I'm sure there were plenty of people who found it way more challenging than I did. But in terms of my, my, my well-being, in terms of my, um, uh, I guess my mental health and and so on and so forth. That was a that was a really challenging period for me, and I didn't really know how to cope with it because, again, like you said, everyone else was having a different experience of of it, and and then projecting that experience and going, oh, this is this must be what it's like for everyone. Exactly, and and you know, you just like puberty, you you can question who you are, you start to doubt your competence, even if you felt competent up until that point. Um, you know, I experienced a massive, uh, like, free fall in, from a place of confidence to a place of utter crushing low self-esteem mm. and a belief that I was no longer competent at anything. And I haven't even touched on the physical aspects because, because my focus is menopause anxiety. But I just want to do justice to anyone that's interested in the physical side that there are again, like puberty, massive physical changes that take place. So you get increased joint pain, like an increased stiffness. It's a physical change that occurs. It's not 
just an aging thing you're losing collagen so that affects hair loss you, you end up growing hairs where you don't want them and losing hair where you do want it um it's it becomes more difficult to do the maybe the sports that you love because of joint pain you gain weight uh i mean and you're dealing with all of that on top of potentially the, the whole anxiety piece so questioning identity that's certainly the place where i feel most drawn to work because and, and it used to be called the change it used to be called not menopause it was the change that's what my mother called it yeah and i personally feel that's more appropriate it it's just me but i feel like oh, okay so here's a point in my life which if i can get my head around it and get on top of all these things where one day I don't know who I'm waking up with in terms of myself like who's arriving today I don't know um but if I can work my way through that there's an opportunity and I just I just came off a client call and <laughs> she's at that point of when I say it's a gift like she's, I, I say to her metaphorically now you want to slap me you know punch me through the screen on the nose because it doesn't feel like a gift. And to say that to anyone is, is insulting and just feels wrong and it's a lie. But there is a point where if you can embrace it, and I, I describe it as being like on tectonic plates, you've got a choice. You try, you've got one foot on one tectonic plate, which is where you are, where you've been, and the other foot, foot on this other tectonic plate, which is moving. And that's who you could be and who you might be and the identity perhaps that you've never embraced and never allowed yourself to embrace. And you've got to pick one. You've got to pick, do I stay or do I go? Oh, the clash, let's play the clash. Um, and that's really uncomfortable if you imagine straddling these tectonic plates and one saying, oh no, no, I'd rather stay where I am. But, but there's still this other one going, no, 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 you need to be something else. Who do you want to be? That's kind of where I like to play and that identity piece of who am I be more self I think that there's another kind of I guess a more general um observation that I've had of the human uh the the human nature the human condition if you like um is that we society um, society's got a lot to answer for, and I'm not going to go mm. off on a tirade about society because oh, go we'll, on. oh don't <laughs> encourage me, Shirley, because that you know we'll be here all day. I'll, I'll be like and another thing and another thing. Um, I, I, I'm somewhat of an idealist, um, but society has um, conditioned us in many ways to be resistant to change because, and I'm not sure why, I'm not sure whether there's a particular uh, benefit to having conditioned us in this particular way. I don't think it's a deliberate thing, but humans like control. Humans like to know exactly what's going to happen, um, which is ironic because we're terrible at making any kind of long-term <laughs> plans and having any kind of long-term vision because we just haven't evolved that way. We've evolved to survive. We've evolved to adapt in, in, in the moment. Um, now, we are, hands down, the most adaptable species on the planet. Mm. We, we can adapt to anything and, and uh, through our own um, kind of physical nature and homeostasis, our bodies can adapt to changes in temperature and changes in all kinds of stuff. Um, but uh, also from a kind of cognitive perspective, we, we are very good at adapting to um, to changes because we go okay this has happened how can I engineer the environment around me to support me better and stuff and that's why we we built these um, you know whether you, whether you agree with kind of uh, the human domination of the planet or not we have dominated and the reason we've dominated is because we're so adaptable and yet when we go through periods of change and uncertainty we struggle because um, because we're scared we're scared. And uh, I mean, if you look at the whole pandemic situation over the past couple of years, um, the thing which has caused the most stress is the uncertainty. That's been the problem. We've, we, we rely on a certain level of consistency in the mm. world around us. And when we go through very big personal um, shifts and very big personal changes, um, whether that's kind of external in the way of 
you know, a job change or a relationship breakdown or the kids leaving home or moving house or, you know, there's all kinds of external things that we have to adapt to, which we find difficult. But also these internal changes like puberty and like menopause and um, things like uh, maybe... Um, certain illnesses and things like that or becoming disabled in some way and I'm not drawing a parallel in any other way other than the fact it's a change um, I'm not saying that you're somehow losing an ability but what you're what you're doing is something is changing internally and you can either you can either go with the flow and go and, and kind of go okay this is happening I have no control over it what I do have control over is um, is how uh, is how I deal with it. And mm. of course, there are things which impact our ability to deal with these, I and mean, it's not entirely within our control, and people hate to admit that, but there is some of it which is in our control. There's some of it in our control in terms of going, right, I'm I'm, I'm changing, I'm becoming something new, I'm metamorphosizing in a mm. way. Um, what is on the other side? Am I going to embrace that, or am I going to be, um, am I, am, am I going to be kind of, um, stubborn and scared and fearful and 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 kind of try and hide myself away from the reality. Mm. I think that's very valid, and I think the reason we we would resist it, despite everything you said, is completely valid. And and I think most women or, or men of any description would would nod in agreement. Um, I think the difficulty with the menopause change is that you don't you have no idea what's on the other side of it. Yeah, no of idea. Yeah, yeah. So it's not just about change, like, oh, there's going to be a change, it's going to look like this, it's going to look like that. But it's like, I have no effing idea what's happening or what it looks like on the other side. Um, and you talked about, you know, why, why do we as humans do this? Well, you know, we are adapted to do that and it makes sense that our primitive brains kick in when there's change because in the primitive world, we, we would live in a small community and we would know, you know, the people around us, we'd recognise them, we would know, you know, which animals were safe to eat or, or to be amongst and which worms and which plants were safe to eat or not. And so anything new, like, hang on, I mean, I've not seen that before, I've not seen them before, or I've not seen this before, you have to question in that yeah. kind of society because it might be an animal that eats you yeah. or a plant that kills you or a person that kills you. Yeah. And so it's, it is innate in us to respond in that way to new things because of that primitive part of our brain that is still alive and well and, and can serve as well. So I guess sometimes met, um, menopause is, is almost like the equivalent of standing on the edge of the cliff and someone going, hey, I'll be fine, just jump. <laughs> yeah. No, why? <laughs> yeah, it's it's you know looking at looking at um, the kind of the reasons that we're fearful of change and fearful of difference and stuff like that from a from an evolutionary perspective. Um, it kind of also brings to mind the areas that perhaps we weren't scared of, and I don't think that we were. I mean, this is all hypothetical. I'm yeah. I'm, I'm speculating here because I didn't live. A hundred thousand years ago, <laughs> but um, the it, it feels to me like although we had that real um, fear and judgment of the unknown and things that were different, which obviously causes all kinds of problems these days in terms of being fearful of things that are different. Um, but that kept us safe. But I feel like perhaps we weren't scared of the kind of internal changes that we went through throughout life and um, of course the life expectancy was a lot shorter as well so so mm. things like mm. you know menopause weren't necessarily something which they dealt with but the the thing with um like if we use puberty as an example it was a rite of passage mm. and uh and menopause can be almost the same thing i guess like a rite of passage like you've 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 reached a certain point and this is you transitioning to the next level this is you transitioning to the next stage mm. in your life and going back to society i did say i wasn't going oh, go to go on a tirade oh, no no i'm going to come to it in a minute <laughs> how much of the how much of the fear and this might be where you were going to go with it but how mm. much of that fear of change is because you're scared of losing certain characteristics that society deems to be uh, desirable. 
I think a huge amount, and it's not just about desirable, as in physically desirable. No, no, desirable from a, from a yeah. workspace and things like that as well. Yeah, uh, most definitely. The yes, the workspace, and even at home, it's about here's the role I play. Here are the expectations I'm living up to, and I think, in my view. We might be in the 21st century, but the structures that surround us in terms of the corporation, the business, no matter, almost no matter how modern, I mean, there are some out there businesses who are structured on very different uh, terms, but most businesses are structured in an identical way. And those structures served white male middle class men who had people to do stuff for them. Um, and it didn't matter if they were there all, all day and every day, you know, and they, and they could go to the gentlemen's clubs in the evenings. Um, and I know that's not how modern men live, well, not, not all of them, um, but the structures that define how we work, the hours that we work, the expectations of eating your lunch at your desk and being the first in and the last out and taking work home at the weekends and not really having a holiday because, hey, you can be on a conference call. And all of that stuff becomes unsustainable. And But the thing is, when women are younger, and the same with men, we're taught that this is the only way to be, to be successful. Yeah, yeah, very true. And it's a lie it's an outright lie and it's held up by people that have been playing that way going well this is how I got where I am but this is where I think before we got onto the interview part I'm sure we'll get to this this is where we're now looking at okay oh now we need to look at ticking boxes on inclusion and um and, and gender and diversity and all you know we've got all these tick boxes now and so we think that they're these marginal groups that we have to do something with. Oh, we've got to do something different with them or offer them something different. And actually, from my, my, from my perspective, it's about challenging the whole structure and going, this isn't serving anybody, really. We're just all playing pretend. So kind of like if you have to, if you have to force um, diversity and accessibility when it comes to uh gender age sexuality ethnicity and all of these things if you have to if you have to force that if you have to have a deliberate thing to do that then the 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 system must be broken because those things should happen automatically now like that again like i'm an idealist and and so I, I look at it in the same way as you in a lot of ways where I go, that the, the, the entire structure is too old-fashioned. It doesn't serve um, modern society. We're mm. still living in a very industrial revolution-based yep. system. And there have been changes. I mean, obviously, the kind of uh, five-day, eight-hour-a-day working week, which was really kind of introduced by Henry Ford back at the kind of in the early 1900s. Um, prior to that, it was seven days a week and it was 12 hours a day. So, of course, that was an improvement. But it's still 100 years old, that model. And think about what has changed since 1921. You know, we're in 2021 now. 100 years, 1921. It's been all kinds of changes. I mean, think about the changes that have happened in the last 50 years, the last 20 years. It's it's a completely different um, uh, different environment we're in. And therefore, we need a different map to, mm. to find our way around it. Mm. Uh, now, I think that in order to achieve that, we do need, and this is the pragmatic side of me. Um, I did a recent podcast and a post about idealism versus pragmatism and realizing we need to have both. So my, my idealist, my idealist says this is the way it should be. But the, my, the pragmatist in me says, well, in order to get there, we do need to have specific, right? The, this group of people need a bit of extra support until we achieve this level of equality. And it's almost like we're fighting against this behemoth of of corporate structure, and we need to fight that with kind of tools in our arsenal. This is at least how I see it anyway. And one of the things, in fact, what I was going to ask you, and I know you said that this varies from from person to person, mm-hmm. but what kind of age range are we talking about for menopause? Oh, that's a great question. So if we just stick with the the 
you know, the number crunchers, there's, yep. there's, a, there's an average, an average age of 52. Okay. That's very specific. It's very specific. <laughs> but, um, but this perimenopause thing, like the, the run up to yeah. period stopping can be as long as 15 years. Right. Um, and some women go prematurely into menopause there are women in fact the youngest i've heard is a, is a poor young girl who went into menopause at age 14 okay that's obviously rare yeah um but quite a number of women go in their 20s and 30s and and often it can be hysterectomy induced so so because they've got issues that they then go through the clinical process and they're advised that what is best for them is a hysterectomy then they also can end up with an early hysteret uh, an early menopause so so yes, your average age is early fifties, but really it could be any woman, and and women don't even know they're in it. Usually, it's retrospectively we look back and we go, oh crikey! So when I was really struggling with this and feeling mad about that and and not being able to concentrate and I lost my job or or I didn't do very well on that project or or that relationship went completely tits up oh, maybe that was menopausal symptom. And so that's the challenge for women going through it. So what, how you then cater for, oh, women in menopause when they don't even know they're going through it, that's the challenge, which is why, for me, it's about culturally shifting an organisation that mm. it becomes an ac acceptable, in fact, encouraged conversation that people just uniformly discuss flexible ways of working in every sense of the word. Like, what's the best way of working for you? How does this, it becomes more creative. And we know there's research out there for anyone who's not aware of this. There is proven research. I wish I could, I wish I'd brought it in with me so I could quote it, but perhaps you can. That, that shows that businesses that are better at being genuinely inclusive and not just having a policy and yeah. a, a working group, genuinely inclusive, outperform on in terms of the numbers, shareholder figures, they outperform businesses who don't do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to get off my soapbox temporarily and I'll just take a breather. <laughs> I, I actively encourage soapboxes, don't worry. It makes for brilliant listening. <laughs> Everyone loves a run, don't they? Oh, Everyone good. loves a run. But the, I think the point that I was... A, a couple of things that would kind of really stood out for me there. One is averages are so... Um, mm -hmm. So so the thing is, right, now I come from a science background and, um, you know, did a lot of statistics and things like that, statistical analysis of, of results from experiments and so on and so forth. I won't bore any of the listeners with the, my studies of uh, fruit flies for my dissertation. Um but the when you do statistical analysis, averages are vital. And on a population level, averages are very, very useful. But mm. on an individual level, mm. they are completely meaningless. Mm. It's like saying the average person is this, that, and the other. And it's like, well, yeah, but that doesn't that when you're talking That's to me, me, that doesn't that doesn't matter. <laughs> I, I'm nobody is an average person because everyone is so uniquely individual. And um on a, like I said, they are, they're, they're useful and they're vital in certain circumstances, but not when you're looking at individuals. And there is an, when, when we're talking about uh, becoming more inclusive as companies, um, the, there is an element of uh, population because you've got a population in your company of, you know, 50 or 200 or 10,000 people. And so there is an important um, level of generalization that you need to do in order to operate. But, but you've also got to have a level of um, individuality within that. You need to have the flexibility that, that an individual goes, well, I'm not average. Can I still access the support that you're providing? And the reason I asked the question about age, mm. and that was really uh, kind of, uh, that's opened my mind a lot or opened mm. my eyes a lot rather, because I, I always assumed, um, because of the average, that it was a, a middle-aged thing, mm. for, for want mm. of a better term. I always yeah. assumed it was that kind of 50s kind of mark. Um, 
But it's fascinating to hear that, that people, that a lot of people go through it younger than that. And of course, people will go through it older than that because that's what ends up with an average of 52, right? Precisely. So, um, so you've got these, these um, now regardless of, <laughs> regardless of whether it is, whether someone is 30 when they start going through menopause or they're 60 when they start going through menopause, they're both probably going to be working because mm. because mm. that that entire range of ages is within the typical working age range and so i i believe that companies and employers have a duty of care to everyone that's in their in their company mm. i believe that that is that is uh, that is sacrosanct they they have a duty of care to look after those people and those people are more important than the profit but what you've said, and this is something which has been borne out to me in conversations with people about gender, about race, about sexuality and all of these things. The companies which are genuinely inclusive do better financially as well. It yeah. is not either or. It no. is both or neither. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, there's not enough leaders that either know that and, they, and shame on them for not knowing it because the data is out there. Um, or they delegate it, and that's a classic. That's not that's I'm too senior to think about this stuff. I or is it fear of change? Is it fear of change? Fear again? of change. Yeah, could be. Um, but I think I'm on, I'm going to go off a tangent here because I'm sure there was something else that was more relevant to what you said. But uh, in terms of the changes that might be required, if you were trying to be inclusive of no, no, I'm going to backtrack. Hang on. In terms of, yes, it's the same thing, but it's another point. The reason it's going to get worse in terms of less inclusivity rather than more is that we have an aging population. Half that population are women. I think the CIPD came up with something like one in three women will leave the workplace because they cannot, it's just unsustainable for them to, yep. to carry on working the way they've always worked. It, and they make the choice, instead of having a conversation with the employer, you know, about how could we make this work, they tell themselves and and they probably get messages subliminally or overtly that, uh, you know, love, you really can't do this anymore, can you? So the glass ceiling actually it will never be broken because women will walk away at the points where they should be stepping up, stepping into something bigger. So instead, they walk away. And the other point I was making, which sounds like it's utterly unconnected, but it's a very specific thing that I do want to mention. It's going to freak out some of your male listeners. But one of the reasons you want to be able to have a conversation about how can I continue working and make this work for me? Like my brain isn't dead. I can still function and work things out and read reports. And the reason I'm struggling with concentration and brain fog is probably because I'm so stressed that I have to perform the way you want me to. And if you can help people reduce those levels, that will increase their confidence that they can still do it. But there are some very physical things that can happen to a large number of women, and I am going to freak some people out. In the run-up to not having any periods, some women, and I was one of them, have periods so bad, so bad, that you cannot leave the house for more than 20 minutes. Yeah. And like... And how do you get to work? How do you then get in a car, commute, get on a train, stay in a meeting, do a presentation? If you know in 20 minutes you are going to be absolutely crestfallen because because something physical will happen and, and you just can't, you don't want to entertain it. Yeah. And it's stuff like that that women, yes, it's lovely. Let's have conversations. Let's have the conversations. But... If you just allowed everybody to have a conversation about, well, how does this work for us as a team? How does this work for us as a company? How can we enable everybody to be at their absolute best? And that's the rest of my case. Yeah. No, it's 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 that level of... It's, it, there's a level of understanding, but there has to be a kind of practical application of that understanding as well. And I mean, obviously, this is the case with anything. So it, it seems like almost an arbitrary thing to say. You know, you, you have to act on it. You can't just, it can't just be lip service. 
but I feel like I have to say that because <laughs> so often it, it is just lip service. And that's better than nothing. Having a conversation is better than nothing because it can it can lead to a cascade effect of of change because just people understanding better in the workplace going oh my god I had no idea that you were going through this is there anything I can do to to, to help or also um, just like adjusting I mean we've got so many options now and this isn't the case for every single job obviously some jobs require you to be present um, they're, they're just the nature of some of the jobs uh, but if it's an office-based job if it's a kind of if it's if it's not one where you have to be manning a station um, or personing a station. Um, the again, I'm just working on my inclusive language, you know. And the um, if if you don't have to be there in person, then then that we've got the technology now to be able to work from home in a much more effective way than we were able to 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Um, and 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 that again, we've we've had this proven to us over the last two years with everything that's gone on, and companies have gone, oh hey this actually works better than expected. Now, the, there were some companies who were doing it already and allowed flexible working a lot more. They were ahead of the curve because they were like, well, we've got the technology, why not? We can reduce the office size, we can reduce this, that, and the other, um, allow more flexible working for the people. There's loads of benefits here. Um, others had to have their hand forced because of fear of change. Mm. Uh, but now, if that's an option for a particular role, then why not allow that for people who are um, either struggling with, um, going through these changes or any other change and just go look you don't need to just you don't need to leave there's another way like let's see what we can do um, and that's that personalized element of inclusive in inclusivity inclusiveness inclusivity I'm not <laughs> um, <laughs> I wasn't an English teacher um, so it, it is it's part of that isn't it it's about going right what can what what, what my, I've got a duty of care to this entire group of people but also to this individual and how can I support them best to um, to be able to still um, bring their value to this organization yeah I, I think everything you said is, is really powerful and there's something I think we're, we're missing a point of we're trying to accommodate change, you know, and be flexible and be open. And it, it sounds like all very empathetic and sort of soft, soft skills, which is why it lands in the, the you know, personnel HR department. Um, but really, we could harness this as as a way of exercising our creative skills, because even as you said, oh, you know, there are some jobs where you have to be present I said, well, is that always true? We, we, we take that as real. We go, oh, yeah, but you have to be present there. Like before lockdown, we said, well, you have to be in the office. And I always maintained that you didn't. But lo and behold, it turns out, oh, you don't. And I think even in roles where you think you have to be present, there's a, there's a place for exercising creativity and going, is there, is there, a, way, is there a way that this could work with, with you not being present? Or... If I took an extreme example where you go, okay, you need to be present if you're a surgeon. Um, yeah, because I was thinking about like nursing, doctors, police officers, stuff like that. Yeah, okay. Well, doctors already. Like, can you get an appointment to see your doctor most of the time now? No. Mm. Could you a couple of years ago before lockdown? Yes. So that in itself has changed. Um, but I think what would alter it is A, bringing more creativity to it, but B, let's say we're talking of a certain. At the moment, the decision a woman takes, if, for example, she's a surgeon, she's going through medical, she says, I can't do this because I can't focus anymore and it's really dangerous. I've got someone yeah, 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 lying on an operating table and I've forgotten what the hell I'm doing in the middle of an operation. Instead of a woman feeling compelled to either leave and deny people of very valuable skills of which we are in short supply, or take a demotion. That's a classic step for a woman in, the, in these circumstances. The same happens when we're pregnant. Oh, mm. can I work four days instead of five? Yes, you can, love, but you need to step down. Why? 
why? Why aren't we creative enough to go, listen, I get why you can't do that thing where you're on the operating, where you've got people on the operating table, but there's this other really senior role. We would really value someone with your input. And that's the conversation that tends not to happen. So like things like using that that person's experience yeah. uh, as an advisory role and as all kinds of like, yeah, there's all kinds of leadership roles which can oversee um, what they were perhaps doing. You know, it could even be rather than a demotion, it can be a promotion, can't Exactly, it? to break the glass ceiling. Yeah. And often senior roles are less demanding than For, middle or junior yeah, roles. Yeah, yeah, or they're demanding in a different way. Yes, yeah, it is. It's fascinating stuff, and I think that it does. It, like you said, I mean, you mentioned the word culture earlier on, and I think it really is a, a cultural thing. You talk about it getting landed in the laps of um, HR departments and stuff like that, and uh, or people departments as they're now being called more, which I massively approve of because I hate calling humans resources. It feels dehumanizing. Me too. Me too. Um, so I'm I'm very happy to hear that they are more like people departments because it's yes, it's people. Um, but it feels almost like other areas of leadership sometimes use that as a way of washing their hands of it. Um, you know, other if you've got C-suite executives, for example, if you happen to be a company of the size where you've got um, a CEO, COO, um, and you've got like a CFO, and then you've got a chief people officer and stuff like that. It's always the chief people officer who has to deal with this stuff. Um, but it requires the collaboration of the rest of the C-suite, the rest of the executives or the directors or whoever it happens to be at the, at the top of this company um, because the it, it has to be a cultural shift. It can't be, this is your department, fix it. It's, no, this is how we operate as a unit. This is how we value our people so that we, so that before uh, before these things rear their heads, we've already, like everyone feels comfortable enough in the approach to these inevitable happenings that they, that this, that, that stress is reduced. And we know, and you mentioned this as well, stress, um, that kind of external pressure, and then our internal response to that pressure in the form of, you know, overwhelm and frustration and anxiety and all of these things is the well, one of if not the biggest um kind of challenge when it comes to our health and well-being of course because physical uh, there's a physical manifestation of of um you know emotional distress um but also the the our kind of ability to work our concentration our productivity and all of these things that we're measured upon as a resource in a company um and so if we can, like you said, if we can reduce that stress before it happens mm. by building our company on a set of principles and a set of values, which not only, like you said, not only accept, but actively encourage these conversations, then um, we're going to be way ahead of the curve mm. rather than firefighting. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. Totally uh, agree. And there's... Um, I mean, we're getting to the end now and we're going to have to wrap this up in a sec um, because of the time and everything. But uh, another thing that I think I just wanted to touch on for anyone who's listening as well and talking about inclusivity and talking about menopause and talking about language and things like that as well, um, that a more, I guess, I feel like we should have had this stuff sorted already. (laughs) <laughs> to be honest like it's a, it's a shock yeah. that this is still a conversation that we're having in 2021 yeah. um you know we know that women go through menopause we've known this for ever and 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 this should have been um should have been sorted by the 70s to be honest mm. um but it's not but something that's even more current is the um and and I think can be developed alongside what we've already talked about today is understanding around, for example, if uh, if you've got a trans man or trans men in your organisation, uh, then they may well be going, they may well go through some similar change, mm. depending on obviously the hormone treatments and, and things like that that have happened in the past and maybe continue happening depending on, um, you know, what's going on in that individual's life. You may have someone in your organisation who's a trans man who will go through menopause. And and that's going to be a really um, a really different experience, again from a social perspective, 
get something that I'm not an expert in, something that I don't really have any clue about, but I'm I'm really interested uh, to to understand that more and also to have those conversations with organizations to so, say, have you thought about this? It may not be um, relevant for a company of only 20 people who don't have that uh, within their ranks. Um, but if you've got a company of 10,000 people, the chances are you're going to have trans men in that organization. And, mm. and there needs to be a slightly different level of understanding there because it's, it's a much more recent, um, I guess, change in society that this has come to the fore a lot more mm. um, but again like i said that is a whole other conversation we could go down a, a huge <laughs> rabbit hole there and it's probably a conversation to have with a trans man more than anything yeah yeah good idea um so to close off shirley what i'd like to do is ask you a couple of questions that i always close off with with people um again with this it's going to be slightly more specific because it's uh because of your area of expertise and what we've been chatting about but if there is someone listening to this who's a people leader in an organization of any size really just any kind of someone with a responsibility for for leading a team and they want to be more supportive of people in their team who are going to or are currently going through menopause um what would a piece of advice be for them and the same question for someone uh who wants to manage their well-being going through it themselves whether they're going through it now or whether they know it's kind of on the horizon what would your kind of pieces of advice be for those two different people those are such big questions yeah sorry uh, so about I'm that. Going to try and get, no sorry <laughs> uh for a leader this may not seem like the most helpful answer, but I think the temptation, and I think perhaps the strategy most people will take is let's come up with a new policy or a new procedure or a new working group because that's the traditional way. But I think the first step is to revisit your mission and your vision. And, and whether you, you know, whether you think, well, that's not to do with me, that's to do with if you're in a big organization, the chief exec, or in my view, it doesn't matter if it, requires you to revisit it with someone above you then you revisit it with them you revisit the mission and the vision because that's where the change happens it will never happen if we tinker at the edges of policy and procedure and we if we look at the mission the mission the, the mission and the vision we have an opportunity to create far-reaching change that does positively impact the bottom line and that's what actually most business wants in fact yeah. they all want it yeah yeah it's it's that kind of the, it's the foundations again isn't it yeah and for an individual uh again as i said at the beginning if you're an individual you could be anywhere on this spectrum and so the advice is going to be different but but somehow i would say work on your mental health first and because you need to get a handle on the anxiety so either you know, get people find a resource in your organization where they do support mental well being. That's a start. Um, reach out to someone external, you know, like, like me. Um, there are resources out there. So reach out to those, but also it's about accessing some courage within you. And this is where the organization can be really challenging, but accessing the courage to to challenge the people around you on their assumptions instead of feeling like it's you that has to change and you that has to be responsible, that you have the courage to to enable others around you to take on some of their responsibility and play a part in whatever change is required. I, like I don't know that. if that's helpful or not. Yeah, well, again, I... I don't know, but it sounds like it would be. I don't know whether it would be. And, and the thing is, it won't ever be helpful to everyone. No. But I think if even if just, a, you know, one person listening to this goes, oh, you know what? Yeah, actually, I, I can I can make a positive difference here, either in my own life or in uh, the lives of people around me. Mm. Then we've then we've won the battle, I'd say, Shirley. I think I know we're closing, but there's one thing I just want to add to that last piece. It. I think when it's an individual the key thing to focus on when you're making that decision about how you're going to do this is think about what is the cost of you not taking some kind of action? 
you know, and it's not just, oh, I, I stepped away and I'm, I'm from a job and I earn, I now earn 10,000 less than I earned. It's like project that forward. How many years of pension are you foregoing? How many years of income for your family for, for whatever it is you want in your life are you foregoing if you take the decision go, I just can't do this anymore and you walk away? You either drop off the cliff and you have no salary or you have a salary drop or... And I know when it's about health, it's like, well, what's that got to do with numbers? But actually, if you're really stressed that you have just cut off your air supply for your pension when we're living longer, that's a really big consideration. And I think it's one that not enough of us consider. I think you're right. I think that, I think that when we're looking at managing our well-being, of course, a lot of it is internal. Of course, of it is a, is, is a lot of inner work. Um, but there are certain things that we need to do externally, managing our environment, which can which can help um, keep us well. And one of those things is managing our finances. Um, yeah. And and so it is something that we have to take into consideration. It's not something which is necessarily you know money's not the be all and end all, but it's a necessity. <laughs> and and yeah, I think that is something to take into consideration. And I think that as well, um, there can be not just the financial implications of um, stepping down, but also the self-esteem, as you mentioned earlier on, Absolutely. and things like that as well. So yeah, there's yeah. a huge huge amount of things to consider. But yeah, I think that that gives people a good starting point. Um, Shirley, if someone was listening to this and they want to come and find you and find out more about what you do, whether it's learning uh, from a kind of leadership perspective or from an individual perspective, where's the best places to find you? Well, I'm obviously on LinkedIn, but the best place to find out where I am across the web is really to go to my Linktree. If you're familiar with Linktree, um, it's Linktree and it's forward slash menopause anxiety. Okay, fantastic. Well, what I will do is I'll put a link in the show notes to your LinkedIn and I will put a link in there to your Linktree as well so that people can click on that and uh, and and find all your bits and pieces um, spread across the internet. Um, And... Uh, yeah hopefully um, hopefully we can have some more conversations about this either on podcast or not um, and continue my journey of uh, of learning about stuff that I know nothing about um, <laughs> but I, I honestly this has been this has been fantastic I've learned a lot and I really appreciate your time um, thank you for coming on no you're welcome and thank you so much for inviting me I, I love that you've been so open-minded and such a great listener and conversationaler whatever that is conversationaler <laughs> now you're <laughs> making up words <laughs> what a great way to end <laughs> brilliant cheers Shelley okay thank you for listening to fit to lead with me Jay Unwin if you're not already connected with me on LinkedIn, come and find me using the link in the podcast description and say hello. If you want me to help you improve the fitness and well-being of your team and of yourself, let's set up a call. Until next time, stay fit, stay well, and keep leading from the front.